Good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you are. Thank you so much for joining us today as we look into the status of homeschooling two years into the pandemic. In March 2020, right after schools around the country were shuttered, the Cato Institute put together a panel of homeschooling experts to help parents and teachers figure out their next steps. That session was aimed at helping parents who suddenly had their children learning from home and possibly were already also trying to work from home themselves and trying to help them figure out the landscape and where to go from there. As you might expect, many of the questions at that panel were aimed at the basics. How do I keep my kids on track? How do I get my own work done while making sure my kids are learning? What if I don't have good Wi-Fi? In those early days, there was a lot of uncertainty. And even families like my own, who was our, we were already homeschoolers, but all of our outside activities were suddenly gone. So it was a new, a new experience for everyone. Today, the situation is a lot different. Many parents have found joy in homeschooling and others are strongly considering it moving forward. So our panel today is a little bit different and it features experienced homeschoolers with a wide variety of experiences to help parents figure out the landscape and what they could do moving forward. My name is Colleen Horanchek. I am a policy analyst with the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom and a homeschooling mom of about seven or eight years. And I'm joined today by three other panelists who I'll let introduce themselves to you. Throughout the panel today, if you have questions, you can ask them on whatever platform that you're using to watch it, whether it's our website, Facebook, YouTube. And if you're on Twitter, you can use the hashtag CatoCEF. Cato so I'm gonna go first to Bernita Bradley. Hi, my name is Bernita Bradley, and I am the founder of Engage Detroit, a homeschool co-op in the city of Detroit. Um, a little bit of a different type of homeschool co-op. Um, so we actually uh, founded it in 2020 due to the pandemic. Uh, however, due to some of the previous issues that we were facing in Detroit, um, we actually had only 13% of, excuse me, 16% of our children reading on grade level by third grade in the city of Detroit. And that was overall all schools. And so um, the challenges that we faced with schools being under oversight and trying to practice choice, but choice being not, not very good here in Detroit. A lot of parents during the pandemic end up tapping out. And so uh, we, while I'm a proponent for choice, I am not a proponent for families to just tap out of education. So we wanted to know what do you need if you're going to tap out of education and do homeschooling. And so we founded Engage Detroit. And I'll talk a little bit further later about what we do with Engage Detroit. And next up is Amber Brown. Hi, my name is Amber and I am one of the co-founders of Barefoot University. We are a forest school community for homeschooling families. Um, recently, we've been able to expand into several states. We started uh, before COVID in Texas um, and now we are launching our fourth or fifth state this year. So um, it's just kind of exploded since COVID happened. And um, we kind of have the mission to connect homeschooling families with each other while engaging their children in nature, science-based and based activities. Um, we do a lot of free play and self-exploration and we're very child-led in um, the way we format our activities on a weekly basis. So it's not a type of group that you're gonna tell all the kids, come sit in a circle, we're gonna do this activity. Um, we model 
education, the parents and the leaders of our groups model it, uh, the activity and hope that the children will follow because they want to learn and be engaged. And so that's kind of what we do. And then we'll go to the only dad on our panel, Eric Warren. Hi, I'm Eric Warren. I'm the director of the National Hybrid Schools Project at Kennesaw State University. And so the schools I work with, um, I've been a hybrid school parent for about 10 years, um, but I've been doing academic research on them for five or six now. Um, and so the schools that I work with are hybrid schools where the kids attend uh, a building with teachers and classmates two or three days a week or, or some other uh, less than five day setting. Uh, and the rest of the week they're homeschooled. And so the home days look different depending on the school. Some schools are very sort of structured and others are more wide open, but in general, the kids are asked to sort of keep pace with the rest of their class on the home days. Um, you might think of these as sort of more formal versions of homeschool co-ops. So one question that comes up a lot is, are, is this actually homeschooling or not? Um, uh, I've talked to parents all over the country about this question. Um, so most of the schools, these hybrid schools are private, but there are some charter school versions and even some conventional public school versions. Um, if you ask the schools themselves, some will say, no, absolutely, we are private schools uh, who have students working at home a couple days a week. Other schools will say, uh, we're a collection of homeschoolers that just comes together to meet for classes a couple of days a week. Most parents will say that they are, uh, that they're both, right? We're homeschoolers that attend um, uh, a school building two or three or whatever the number is days a week. So um, I'll talk a little bit more as the, as the hour progresses about kind of who attends these schools and and uh, how they navigated COVID. So thanks for having us, Colleen. Thank you, everybody. And we'll get more into the stories, of course, as we go on today. We really want this to be a very free-flowing discussion. So like I said, please share your questions on the website, Facebook, Twitter, using hashtag CEF or on YouTube. And we do have our first question and it is for Amber. And it's somebody who says that they've never heard of um, a forest school before, which I must say I'm in the same boat. <laughs> and um, you know, prior to hearing about Barefoot University, I was not familiar with this. So how did you hear about it and what made you start it? Um, my One of my middle daughters um, has just always naturally kind of been interested in nature. And there was a couple of forest school type groups where I lived before. And so we started attending those and um, some of them had some of the things I wanted, but not all of the things. And then others, we just didn't fit in um, well at all. And so, I don't know, I kind of have always had the attitude, if I can't find it, I'll do it. Um, I'll do it myself. So I posted on Facebook, um, does anybody want to start a forest school with me? And my co-founder said that she did. And that was it. We had actually never even met. And so, um, and she's now she's one of my closest friends. We've been doing this for four years. So we work really well together. And that, our first meeting was to just get together and introduce our kids and sit down and start planning for school. So it's, um, it's kind of an educational philosophy that started in Europe. And it's very ch child-led, very child-centered. Um, there's a lot of nature. Um, play, risk play, like climbing trees, using tools, learning to use knives and whittling and starting fires safely, of course. Um, but we let the children do all of that stuff themselves um, to teach them those life skills and to get them engaged in like risky play. 
um, under supervision. But yeah, it's it's a really fun thing to watch and experience. Um, but there's tons of information out there on online. You can just look up like Four Schools UK. Um, that's kind of where the philosophy started. And we pretty much follow that. We're a little bit different because we do have um, some other missions where we like focus on community service, uh, teach our kids about giving back and serving the community that they live in and the parks that they're meeting in and things like that. So we do a little bit, um, we kind of created our own philosophy, I guess, but we follow a lot of the four school principles. I imagine the kids get really engaged with this approach. Do, do you find it trickles over to their other like academic coursework? Does it get them more engaged in that as well? Do they kind of cross over with what they're doing in the forest school and what they're doing in, you know, the whatever they're doing at home academically? So a lot of our families will use forest school as their science. Um, not all of them, but some of them use that as their science. So like this week, for example, we did bug investigations where we looked at bug behavior. And um, so we have the activity, Our my, force, my group meets on Mondays. And so we did the activity on Monday and then some of our parents will use the rest of the week to kind of build on that. Um, we give them ideas to dig deeper at home if they want to. Um, our leaders don't actually teach the kids. They just kind of facilitate the activity. And as I said before, they model it. Um, and then parents, you know, we are, they're our own kids' teachers. So that's kind of our saying at Barefoot is that parents are their child's teacher. So if they want to dig deeper, if they want to watch videos or read books or bring um, field guides and kind of do um, some extra stuff, even at forest school or on their home or at home after the activity, um, they have the flexibility to do that. And then other, other families, you know, do an outside science curriculum and they just kind of use this as an enrichment type program or some even probably a social program. Um, but yeah, it does trickle over because there are so many studies. I could talk forever about it, about um, just the benefits of being outside, the benefits of risk play and how it just, they both contribute to the holistic health of the child. It, there's study after study that shows that kids who engage in these types of activities and engage in nature, um, they're, more well-rounded. They can focus better on actual like school desk work. Uh, they're healthier physically and mentally. So yeah, I think it trickles over into every area of their lives and not just the kids. We, um, it's the whole family. It's not just the school age kids. We've seen changes in parents and younger siblings that, you know, tag along and um, families as a whole. So yeah. That's great. I guarantee you my kids would have loved if we had done something like that when they were younger. So three of us on the panel, we were homeschooling before the pandemic, but Bernita, you started during COVID, which is, you know, a bit of a different experience. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got going? I, I know that your daughter had quite a bit to do with it. So maybe about the experiences that she had, and then I believe she graduated. So, you know, kind of pivoting to how that's impacted her post high school. Yes. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so prior to the pandemic, my daughter asked me in fifth grade to homeschool her. And I was a bit, um, with all the community work that I do and the advocacy around um, schools, um, I just felt like I didn't have the time to homeschool. I did not the real understanding of what homeschool was. Most of the homeschool parents I knew growing up, like it was a single mom, 
or excuse me, it was a mom who stayed home. I shouldn't say a single mom, right? Like it would be two family household, but the mom or the dad did majority of the homeschooling. And so um, that was just my reality about homeschooling or what I thought. And so I told my daughter like, nope, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to, I can't sit at a desk all day with you. Like, hey, you know, do this. And I actually had the flexibility to take her to work with me. But I just didn't want to be her enemy. <laughs> I thought I was going to end up being like the teacher who's like, do this, do that. No, you didn't turn in chapter two, you know. And so um, what, uh, the pan what happened during the pandemic, my daughter had encountered with only one teacher uh, in her school while she was in 11th grade. And um, it, my daughter loves education. And it really, really like did something with her. Like she, she's that kid. I keep telling people who take, still take the apple to school to the teachers. Like she's always taking treats to teachers and all this kind of, like she has a passion for education. Um, and that really hurt her. On the flip side, again, I do this advocacy work where we had all these parents who were asking like, what, what, like, why aren't our teachers logging on? Like, this is not working for my child. Um, I asked for I asked for support from the school and I don't have the technology. Like, what do I do? So I'm just going to do it myself, but I don't know what to do. And um, we started having online uh, platforms like this. We I invited a couple of my homeschool friends. Um, they they're like super parents in homeschooling to come on with everyday families and just ask answer questions. What do I do? What's laws around it? Blah blah blah. You know, how do I get my child to whatever? Right. And what are some different styles of homeschooling? And in the process, I'm learning. So around um, May of last year, my daughter came to me and told me, yeah, if my 12th grade year is going to be like this, it looked like the pandemic's going to extend. I'm going to drop out of school. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. Like, like she's like, well, I can get my GED. Like, I'm not just planning on dropping out of school. I'm going to get my GED and go to community college. And, and I was like, no, but I knew like her heart. She had a whole plan for her 12th grade year and her in her first year of college. She had a literally two year plan already pre pre scheduled for everything. And that was just falling to pieces. So I, I said, what do we do? She said, well, you want to try homeschooling me? I said, yes, let's do it. Um, so again, me not knowing fully what to home, how, how homeschooling go, I turned to some of those friends I had to be coaches. And um, again, I'm not going to like just get the support for me. Like, what do these other families need? Oh, you need coaches? So let's get coaches for you. Like, what does individualized coaching look like for you in your household? And that's what we did. So those coaches meet with families um, twice a month now, um, an hour private coaching and they actually go over everything from their rights to understanding different curriculum, different styles, and even most importantly, talking to your children about homeschooling, right? Like, because it's one thing to say you want your child to homeschool, but it's another thing for a child, especially at a certain age, to just be pulled into homeschooling and they really don't want to homeschool because you, you might be creating an atmosphere of tug of war for you and your child. And so um, that's what we did. And I'm, I'm very happy about it. My daughter graduated. She was the first graduate of our homeschool co-op. She actually, um, so, so for those parents out there who are afraid about like college access and things like that, 
we built a whole bunch of partnerships in our community with some of our college access programs, some of our music programs, art programs, you name it, food co-op programs. And uh, our homeschool families were able to take uh, participate in those programs. Some of these programs are the same programs that generally partner with traditional, you know, brick and mortar buildings. But they they were like open, uh, like, okay, let's try this. Like we've never partnered with homeschool groups, but let's try this, we'll try it with you. And it turned out phenomenal, especially for my daughter. So my daughter applied for uh, Wayne State University here in the uh, city of Detroit, um, got in without a transcript. She did her homeschool journey um, she had a transcript from homeschool, but they did, they weren't even concerned about that. They were concerned about what she can show them she, le she learned during homeschool and um, wrote some essays and took a, a pre like quick exam and she got in with a four-year uh, scholarship. And so it's possible for families. I don't want families to ever feel like like, well, what about when my children get ready to transition to another grade level? Like there's so many nuances that go into it, but you pave the way for your child. And it's all about how you prepare ahead of time and the partnerships that you create to make sure that your child in your household um, has what they need to do homeschooling. Thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll get more questions too about the college experience. Um, and you know, a few of us have experience there. So if you are asking questions and you, that is a very common question is you know, how do you do high school and then get into college? You know, we will happy to talk about that yeah. too. Um, I do have a question now for Eric. Um, so one of, it's an anonymous question. Um, do you have examples of these hybrid schools? Love the idea. Oh, there are so many examples. Um, so, the schools are kind of located, um, the bulk of them are kind of in the south down through Texas, and then there are a bunch on the west coast. Um, but there, there are several in the, in the uh, Midwest and Northeast, they're all over the place, but the locations kind of mirror where you would find more homeschoolers. So um, the trick with these is finding them can be difficult, right? Because they're, they're almost never called, right, Kennesaw hybrid homeschool, right? They're called Kennesaw Academy or something like this. So uh, some good places to look for them are uh, the National Association of University Model Schools. Um, they've got a directory of all their schools. Uh, some of the other networks that are out there are um, the Regina Chaley Academies and the Aquinas Learning Centers or Catholic versions. Um, uh, there are some charter school versions. So you might look at Da Vinci Charter Schools in uh, Northern California and Julian Charter Schools in Southern California. Um, a lot of them are... Uh, just small, local, kind of mom and pop style schools though, right? So a lot of them are found and I, you know, to, for research purposes, um, I, I find a lot of them through word of mouth, right? Just by asking people, you know, have you heard of a school like this? And, and invariably someone will say, oh yeah, I know a school that sounds like that, um, that's somewhere over here. And um, so that's how we find them. Uh, so uh, there are a couple of big networks, but a lot of these schools are just kind of local, local entities that are solving kind of super local problems. And then I don't know if this is tech, like would technically fall under your definition of hybrid, but you know, from a parent's perspective, it's the same thing. A lot of private schools will just offer, they might call it a la carte classes where homeschoolers can come. My kids do this in our town and you can just go and you can take one, two, three, four classes, whatever you want. Um, so that's, you know, they, they wouldn't consider themselves a hybrid school at all 
because they are a full-time school, but they do allow homeschoolers to take classes. So there's sure, a lot but, of options. But, and, and two, some of these schools are starting hybrid programs, right? So I can think of a couple of private schools, like existing five-day private schools, uh, in order to draw some homeschoolers in, we'll start hybrid programs that are uh, some maybe partially a la carte, but also full out hybrid programs. Um, I can even think of a public school system in East Tennessee uh, for that reason. They're kind of rural. They had a lot of homeschoolers and the school district was looking for a way to kind of draw kids in. So they started a hybrid program. So so they're they're all over the place, but you you do have to kind of look a little bit. Although you have a project yeah. that's helping with that, right? Did you give that website out? I do. So if, if you go, if you search the, uh, the Education Economics Center at Kennesaw State, you'll find us. So we're called the National Hybrid Schools Project. Um, and we're building kind of a database of these schools because they're hard to find and because they vary so much um, for research purposes and for just location purposes. Um, you know, they some of them will show up in private school data sets. Some of them will show up in charter school or public school data sets. Um, there, there's a there's a federal sort of homeschool data set that you can work with, but none of them really capture these hybrid schools as a group. So um, what we're trying to do is locate as many of them as we can. Um, and we've got a few hundred in our data set so far. We did a big survey in the fall and we just published uh, a report based on, on their responses uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and we're just looking at things like, you know, where are you located? How do you operate? What is your curriculum? You know, are you Montessori style, classical, STEM, something else? Uh, how big are you? What's your tuition like? And things like that. So we've we've found a few hundred schools, but I I know that there are a lot more kind of floating out there that I'm trying to find, um, and they're starting up. Uh, you know, we can we can talk about this too at some point if you want, Colleen. There, the rate of these startups is really increasing over the past couple of years. Well, actually, one of the questions is asking how to start one. So maybe that's a good yeah. time to tell that. <laughs> sure. Well, they have they have lots of origin stories, right? So some of these schools will start as kind of a ministry of a church. Um, they'll a church will decide they want to start a hybrid school, and and they'll do it that way. Sometimes, uh, like I've mentioned, charter school versions or public school versions. Sometimes homeschool uh, full time homeschoolers will kind of come together and do a co op, and then they want to get a little bit more formal, so they'll rent space on an ongoing basis and they'll start that way. That's how my kids school started. Um, it started uh, around a dining, a dining room table in somebody's house and then they kept adding kids and then they added uniforms and they rented space. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there's lots of ways to start them. Um, you can reach out to some of the networks. Um, some of these schools just kind of hang their shingle out though and just attract kids, right? Once you, once you locate a facility and hire some teachers, um, and that's one of the great benefits of these hybrid schools, right? They, uh, they avoid a lot of the uh, political fights that might come with starting up other kinds of choice options, right? So to start a charter school can be a multi-year process, uh, a, a, big, a big undertaking. Um, you're, you're fighting through the politics of your local school system and asking them to, um, uh, to allow their own competition, right? Uh, if you're going to start a full-time five-day private school, that's a big financial lift. If you're going to hire full-time teachers and administrators and a building and things like that. Um, but if you're talking about a hybrid school uh, where you rent space two days a week out of a church or out of you know, maybe from another private school that's undersubscribed, um, 
they can start up much faster than that. I can think of one school in Missouri. Uh, there was a church uh, that wanted to start a hybrid school because uh, whatever school district they were in had been uh, still closed down because of COVID. So they said, you know what, we'll take, uh, we'll take 18 months, we'll think about this, and we'll open uh, 18 months from now with 100 kids or so. Well, they actually opened four months later with 200 kids, right? Uh, but they had some, some wind at their back, right, with the church facility and the people involved had some education experience. But, um, you know, it's a matter of getting together and, and setting up your, your little group and, and then kind of finding, maybe finding other mentor schools to help you out along the way. I know a lot of schools have started out by just calling up nearby schools and asking them, how did you get started? And then emulating that. Excellent. Thank you. We have a question about unschooling, if anyone has any experience with unschooling, which is what this anonymous questioner did. And um, Amber, you look like you're smiling, so maybe we'll go to you first. Yeah, um, so that's kind of pretty much the approach that my family takes. I actually have four kids. Um, all of them have been homeschooled at some point. Uh, my oldest just graduated this year, and then I have a junior in um, our high school the high school right down the street, um, our county high school. And then my younger two are homeschooled. But we, when we're homeschooling, um, I found that it's just easier on me and way easier on my kids if we kind of follow an unschooling approach. So um, what does that mean? I think it could be different for every family. And there's probably so many different variations of unschooling. But for my family, um, I follow my child's lead. It's kind of what we do at Barefoot. Uh, if my kids are interested in, like, right now, um, I have a daughter who, she's eight and a half, and she has just kind of become fascinated with fairies. So we're learning, like, all about fairies. But, you know, um, that doesn't mean she's not learning math or anything else. We just use fairies as kind of the topic to engage in all these other subjects. Um, and we, of course, like, grocery shop together and cook together and I will give her money whenever I'm shopping and I'm like, okay, we need to get five meals for dinner. Like, how can we do that with this amount of money? And um, so we just kind of do life together, I guess is the easiest way to say it. And um, they learn that way. I, I don't enjoy sitting down. We read a ton with each other. Um, we look up stuff if they're interested. We'll get a book or watch a video or stuff like that. Um, she really likes history, so we watch like a lot of history videos and read books about that kind of stuff. And she, of course, enjoys science and nature, so we're always like looking up different topics. But it's just kind of what she's interested in. I don't enjoy sitting down and being like, okay, we have like 18 worksheets that we have to do today, and we're gonna get it done in the next three hours. Like that wouldn't work for me. It it wouldn't work for my kids. Um, she actually, the eight-year-old I was just talking about, she actually does enjoy worksheets, and so she does them. Um, but my others don't always enjoy that kind of book work, so uh, we don't do it. And they are still learning, and they are all smart. Um, my 18-year-old is getting ready to start college. Actually, my both of my teenagers, uh, when they were homeschooling, in high school, we just enrolled them in dual credit college classes, and uh, I just let them pick, like, okay, what do y'all want to do? And they both did, you know, started with, like, Algebra 101 and College English 101, and um, they started at 15, and they started doing college classes under dual enrollment, and um, 
but it was unschooling still because they're making a choice about their education. Um, so I let them choose. I let them decide what they want to learn about, how they want to learn it, like the easiest way for them to learn it because we all learn things so differently. Um, and they're motivated because they're teenagers and they want to get out of my house and they, they want to start a life and they have these plans. And so they're like, okay, to do this, I need to do these things. And, um, I let them, you know, we guide them and facilitate, of course. Um, but they are more motivated to learn some of those skills that they wouldn't have wanted to learn when they were 13 or 14 sitting behind a desk for six or seven hours. Um, they're like, okay, I have to learn algebra now, so here I go. And um, it's funny how quickly you can learn something when you're motivated to learn it or when you know there's a need to learn it, whether than just, you know, rather than being forced to learn it on somebody else's time schedule. So that's kind of what unschooling looks like in our family. I'm sure there's tons of different ways and models you could follow, but that's what we do. I always say we quasi unschool because um, I make them do like math usually, <laughs> but for a lot of subjects, it is you know very similar to what you're saying and the dual enrollment, hugely helpful. I totally agree with that. Um, Eric or Bernita, I do mean, you guys have anything you want to chime in on that? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say like, I know math is always somebody's like biggest concern when you talk about unschooling. I'll just tell you that my eight-year-old knows all of her times tables. She's doing like really difficult um, division and she knows like basic algebra, she's done all of that on her own just from reading about math in a book series that she likes. Um, it's called Life of Fred. It's novel-based, um, but he teaches. It's written by like a math professor somewhere, and um, she's done that all on her own, basically. I mean, I help her, and when she has questions and she's like, hey, how do you do this? Like, we'll talk about it. Um, but she's still learning math, and it's not, there's no curriculum. Um, i love to jump in there. Uh, so, yeah, my daughter, my daughter, same scenario, right? Like uh, my, my daughter was an unschooled slash hybrid model. Like every household is different. I really want people to note that like every and every child is different. <laughs> I mean, it is so if you have more than one child in your household, you may have one child who's like, look, I want to be in this hybrid model because I want to play sports in school. And I really want to like really be around these students, my friends in school. Right. But I want to be homeschooled. You might have one child who's like, look, yeah, I'm good with being this person who explore and figure out my own world. And then you might have one other child who's like, well, I really want to take like the the arts and sciences and things like that. And I want to do projects all the time. And I want to have a, a club that I'm a part of to present those to. So my daughter was, I'll never forget, trying to make her stick to her 12th grade transcript that she originally made with her school. And I was like, you need to actually take your chemistry like you have to in order to graduate like to prove that you've done it like you've got to take him and we went through this challenge blah 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 for a few days and then she wouldn't do it so i shut down on her i was like well we're not talking about our family vacation till you tell me you've signed up for your chemistry class and i was so proud about it and she kind of shut down on me and i was like yeah but i'm standing up against you right and uh talk to my coach and literally I got coached through this process too, right? And so I'm talking to my coach and I'm bragging to her about, not bragging, but just telling her how our process is going, right? And she looked at me and she said, so why did you not talk to her about the vacation? Because she didn't do what you wanted her to do academically? And she said, you 
do know that's the same way that schools have treated children when they've been punitive on education for black children. And I was like, whoa, like, wait, like it was a reality check for me as a mom, right? She said, well, why couldn't you just go to her and ask her what else she would have wanted to do? And so it made me step back. I went back to my daughter and I was like, okay, so what would you want to do outside of chemistry? You know, what, what else would you want to do? She said, well, actually, I want to take forensic science. And I'm sitting up there like, chemistry, forensic science, right? Like, tell me which one is harder. Why don't you just want to take chemistry? And she was like, this is what I want to do, right? She's always been an explorer. She's always been a research person. So she's like, I want to take forensic science. She took it without flying, passed without, with flying colors and I was mesmerized by how, again, my daughter brung the work to me and told me about the things she learned and would have conversations with me about what she was learning on her own pace and how well it was going. Whereas before it was like pulling teeth when it came down to classes that were, that were hard for her. And so that unschooled model is just allowing your child to explore. And again, like we find math in all types of things. We find things like math in baking. We find it in helping your children, uh, telling your children to help you balance the books or pay the bills, or like she said, going grocery shopping. But a lot of times we don't see that as education going to the laundromat, right? Like if you're a parent who has to go to the laundromat, go to the laundromat with them sometimes so that they have that experience. Even if you have a, um, a washer and dryer at home, just giving them that experience, giving them the quarters, right? Like, look, what do we do when we're here? How much soap do you put in here? Well, can you measure this, right? Those are models of learning that school has gotten so far away from that it doesn't even relate to real life. And I believe unschool does more of that. It relates to real life and how children will have to go throughout their like adult years actually learning. Very true. I, I saw a quote once where they said something like, you can't teach an unwilling pupil. And if, you know, if a kid's not willing to learn it, they're just not going to. So I think that what you guys are talking about, you know, it's very related to that. Once your kids are empowered and engaged, then they, they want to learn the subjects. So that's great. Um, I have a lot of questions about funding, the cost of homeschooling or you know, scholarships, um, if you got if your any of your organizations give grants, anything like that. So maybe we'll just go, you know, around the around the room with that. And Eric, you spoke least recently, so we'll start with you. Schools, um, you know, I kind of mentioned their their facility issues. They they often rent space or are given space just a couple of days a week. Um, they tend to have very part time teaching staffs, right? So the teachers will come in and teach for a couple of hours, two days a week or three days a week, whatever it is. Um, uh, very often they'll have either one or zero full time employees at, for the whole school, right? They have everybody's part time. Um, and so because they're, they've got these lower facilities costs, they've got these way lower personnel costs, um, hybrid schools can typically charge a lot less than kind of the competing five-day conventional school down the street. So um, the average tends to be somewhere <clears throat> somewhere in the neighborhood of four or $5,000 a year, um, which is, you know, a half, a third or less of what you'd see in other places. So 
what we find with these with these uh, hybrid schools is that they're um, they're not maybe the middle of the income distribution, but they're not one percenters either, right? They, they tend to be kind of middle or upper middle class types. Um, it's one of the great benefits of these hybrid schools is that they are a good avenue into school choice for this kind of broad middle class area, right? So we've always had school choice for wealthy people. They can pay tuition. Um, we tend to target school choice programs at poorer kids or kids in struggling schools. Um, for the middle class, the way they get into school choice is they buy a house in a school system that they like, and then they stay there until their kids are done, right? So if, but if a school system takes a turn that they don't like, those are the people that are the most kind of stuck in their situation. Um, so the fact that we've got these schools that are, you know, um, fraction of the cost of, <clears throat> of similar schools or, or of nearby schools um, is letting a lot more people in. Um, so they tend to be um, tuition funded, um, but some of the schools will take advantage of things like education savings accounts um, or tuition tax credit programs. And um, so things like a, a typical ESA uh, that's proposed is in the range of $5,000. Well, that would cover complete tuition at most of the hybrid schools around the country. Um, and then charter school and private school versions obviously are, are free to the parents. Whenever you speak next, if you could just tell your website, because there's a lot of people asking for that, that information. Yep. For the hybrid home project where people can search. Um, sure, I'll tell you right now. It's uh, uh, So Kennesaw State's business school is Coles College. So it's coleschollege.com slash hybrid schools. Great. And then on the, the money question, if we could go next to Amber, and then if you could also share your website with people too. And is, if there's a way to contact you on that, then um, people are interested in that too. Yeah. Um, okay. So Barefoot University, we know that a lot of homeschooling families are um, kind of sacrificing a little bit to homeschool for one parent to stay at home and be able to teach their kids. So one of our missions is just to be affordable for all families. So um, right now it's $75 a year for a family and then each child pays like a $20 supply fee for their supplies for the year and that includes like a nature journal and all their supplies for the activity. Um, so it's, you know, like $100 a year for if you just have one kid um, or, you know, a little bit more than that if you have two kids. So um, it's very affordable. We have scholarship programs for families that can't afford to pay for barefoot. Um, and then as far as just homeschooling costs for my family personally, I think the most, <laughs> most of our money just goes to like museums and zoos and things like that. Um, I don't even know how much I spend on stuff like that. Board games. Um, we don't, we don't buy curriculum, so I've never had to endure that cost. Um, when I did the college for my teens, um, our state had a program where homeschooling kids could take college classes for free. So we signed up for that. I think there was like a $70 enrollment fee or something um, per student, but uh, it's very, I mean, you can homeschool like very, very cheap. Uh, a lot of families I know um, go to the library and check out curriculum from there. Lots of libraries have curriculum. There's lots of free online curriculum. There is, I don't think money should ever be a reason to not homeschool because there are so many resources out there, so many, people that you can reach out to to mentor you or share curriculum with. Um, so yeah, it can be done cheaply. And oh, our website, it's uh, barefootuniversity.org 
and you can email us directly on there or you can email me at amber at barefootuniversity.org also. And Bernita. Yep, so um, when it comes down to funding, um, so none of our families pay for, to be a part of the coaching process. We have two different ways that parents can interact. Um, once our coaching um, roster gets full for our coaches, families can come into our full group session. Our full group session, we meet twice a month and um, we kind of go over some of the same principles and processes that they go over in coaching is just not private, right? It's like the whole full group brainstorming together, what's working in your household, what's, what do you need and you know what what do you need support with and then we also identify partnerships that we want to build whether it's with the local music school or whether it's with um a cooking class that we want to invite the children on and so i try to do my best to make sure that all our partnerships do not charge us um because we have so many families who are lower income and uh, we have families who can't afford to like pay that out-of-pocket fee for like a private school to have that hybrid model. But also we utilize things like OutSchooled. So OutSchooled has these, uh, I don't know if people know about OutSchooled, but they have uh, these online classes. The classes generally are about um, $25, $45 for a class or something. And it's adventurous classes based on what the kid need. And they also offer scholarships. So uh, they will offer a family a $300 scholarship uh, per student just to try out school. And when you try that, that $300 goes a long way. Your kid can take everything from karate to um, some type of uh, math science or robotics class. And they're actually online with a teacher. And so we find inventive ways to make sure that our families don't have to pay for anything. Um, eventually, um, if funding through our grants don't continue, we may seek some type of like a annual support for the, you know, from the families. But at the most, I would want it to be sim similar to Amber's, like probably a hundred or something dollars a year, because the reality is it does not take a lot to homeschool families. Um, like Amber said, you know, it's just about the way you know how to expand and how to uh, think out of the box. Um, so my website is engagedetroithsc.com. And if anybody wants to uh, reach out to me, there's a place on there where you can send an email. And uh, we generally get back with you in about 48 hours. Great, thank you. Am I, am I live? Sorry, I may have frozen. Yeah, yeah. you did freeze okay. up for a few minutes, for a few seconds. Okay, That's sorry about that. Um, Bernita, if you don't mind continuing, we have another question for you and it says, this is anonymous. Could you speak to the national momentum for homeschooling in the black community? Do you see this as a temporary response to the pandemic or do you see signs that more black Uh-oh. Are you there? Is, is she froze off. up for other people? Okay. Okay, you froze up a, a, a minute. Okay, I think sorry. I understood what the question was though, but you wanna repeat it real quick? 
Sure. I was just asking about the national national momentum for homeschooling in the Black community and if you think it's temporary or do you think that more Black families will continue long-term? Yeah. So um, uh, according to the uh, U- U.S. Census, homeschooling in Black families increased five times uh, the general amount. Uh, before, Black families were homeschooling at a rate of about three point, I believe it was like 3.3%. And um, after the, during the pandemic, it increased to 16 point something percent. So about five uh, times the, the original amount of black families. I think this is going to increase because people have seen for the first time, like their ability to be at home with their children, children doing it. But the reality is homeschooling for black families have been existing in existence. It really has. Even back to years ago when Black families really honestly were not uh, afforded the opportunity to go to white schools, right? Black families uh, were very inventive and they decided to homeschool in their own homes, in their own uh, sheds, in the back of their homes, whatever it may be. They got children in their community in the church basements and they homeschooled and everything. So it's been there. It ju- it's just not as publicized. Um, has it been as equitable as white families because more white families can't afford to homeschool? So people think, right, because they have the two-parent household and two-parent household and generally one of the parents make more money so that mom or dad can stay home for a couple of years. And so the assumption that you have to stay home from work is not necessarily true, right? Um, you can have two parents in the household, one parent in the household. You can co-homeschool uh, with other families. And um, though Black families have generally had two parents in the household, both of them usually have had to work. So trying to find the time to homeschool has been sketchy. But we know now that homeschooling is not that traditional 7.30 in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon, right? Homeschooling is all the time. Homeschooling is on a Saturday night, a Sunday morning, whenever children want to learn, they're learning. That's a very good point. Okay, another question we have here is about learning pods, which we've talked about hybrid and co-op. This is a little bit different. And so this this is Michael King. I'm not sure what platform he's on, but he says, we're encouraging churches to start learning pods with coaches that meet upwards of five days a week. All students register as homeschoolers and the church just uses the building. Not a traditional school model, but many function in a similar way. Are you seeing this movement in other states? Anyone want to just jump in on that one? Yeah, I'll go there. Um, yeah, so home, uh, if you look up uh, the Vela Fund, the Vela Fund um, actually funded a lot of homeschool pods. And there's a lot of programs that are funding homeschool pods. There are some phenomenal programs going on. Like we have Surfscape, uh, I believe they're in California, and they run like a surfing homeschool pod. Like who would have thought like surfing with homeschooling, right? But the same thing with the forest schools, right? So they're everywhere. And what it is, is groups of parents just coming together saying, we got to do something around education or churches or or local um local, whatever, local community uh, networks that are coming together saying, how do we educate children and make sure they have the tools and the resources and a place that's safe to come and learn, especially during this pandemic. I believe that's going to continue. 
A lot of schools are even willing to partner with programs like that now. Here in Michigan, we had our early childhood programs became learning pods for families. Um, some of those early childhood programs that generally would take children up to about seven or eight, um, they took children up to like 13 during the pandemic, right? And they actually made spaces in their building for these young kids to come here and have computers through the day, learn and touch bases with, you know, their staff to make sure that they were on point and they did it for the sake of families who had to go to work. And if anyone wanted to look into the Vela Ed Fund that Bernita mentioned, it's Vela, V-E-L-A, edfund.org. And they do have some grant applications opening up soon. So um, if you're interested, check them out soon. And Eric or Amber, do you have anything to say about the learning pod type of a model? I mean, I'll say, um, I think I saw a few of these start up in my area um, because of COVID, because of school shutdowns. Um, but I, th I think uh, that the shutdown kind of gave them, the parents gave, it gave parents the impetus to kind of jump into these pods. Um, what's keeping them there though, is some of these uh, fights over curriculum though, right? So that's been an interesting change that I've seen, right? As the schools come back, some people are staying not because of COVID, but because they don't want to fight over curriculum in their schools anymore. Yes, so definitely seeing that. Okay, uh, this is a good question. Somebody anonymous is asking about activities and sports. So I'll speak for myself. My kids have done, in my state, they can participate in public school sports. So some of my kids have done that. And also we happen to live in an area that has uh, pretty decent homeschool sports. So they've done um, volleyball, archery, and uh, basketball through the homeschool leagues. And then outside of sports, our biggest activity is one that I would strongly encourage anyone to look into because it's been great for my kids. And it's competitive speech and debate. And the league that we are in is called NCFCA. So it's ncfca.org. And it's just, um, we've found it to be it just it benefits every aspect of their life they get the public speaking they get research they get critical thinking because especially with debate you're asking each other questions you're answering on the spot um, there's a lot of limited prep speeches where you get a question you have to you have you know a couple minutes to figure out your answer then you have to just give a speech so um, those are the things that, that we have done and does anyone else want to chime in on what activities and sports they've used as homeschoolers Amber, maybe do you want to go first? Because um, I think you were the least yeah. recent to talk. Yeah, um, between all four of my kids, I think we've done everything. <laughs> um, right now we're in violin, swimming, uh, martial arts. Uh, my oldest son did cross country. My daughter did, uh, she volunteered at teen court for a number of years. She wanted to be a lawyer for a while. So we did that. Um, we've done soccer and baseball and cheerleading. I have a daughter, my oldest is the cheerleader and um, gymnastics and like, seriously, you name it. We've done it. Uh, American Heritage Girls, Life of, Trail Life Boys. Like, it just goes on and on and on. Um, there are so many daytime activities in our area. Uh, I think that 
homeschoolers can also do sports at public schools where I live, but we haven't taken advantage of any of that. We just usually do outside stuff um, or daytime things because I don't like my nights to be busy. We eat dinner together every night as a family, and so I try to stay away from nighttime activities. And uh, so most of the stuff that we do falls during the daytime hours. But um, yeah, there's everything available to homeschoolers, whether it be through the school district or um, just you know outside sports programs. We have friends that do choir and speech and debate, like you mentioned, and all kinds of things. So, Yeah, I used to joke we were never homeschoolers, more so than homeschoolers. <laughs> uh, Bernita, did you have anything to add to the activities and sports? Yep, um, same thing, like partnering with your local public schools, always contact them, you know, and let them know that you're homeschooling. My daughter did dance in her charter school, um, she did that hybrid model where her dance classes came through them. Um, arts classes also, um, but also check into your lo like local Y's, right? The local Y has different sports in the summertime. Um, here in Detroit, we have PAL, which is the uh, Police Athletic League. So parents pay a little fee and they can participate in the baseball or the football, whatever. So it's it's like so many opportunities. I think it's about parents doing the research in their community and finding out what's accessible. And Eric? Yeah, for the hybrid schools, it really depends on the, the culture and the taste of the school. So a lot of schools will offer a variety of sports or things like choir or debate or things like that. Um, one of the great aspects of these schools is that a lot of times it's, it's do it yourself, right? Everything, I think that's healthy for society, right? If you want to start a basketball team at the school, somebody's got to just jump in and start it. Um, and then you can have it for that reason. Um, a lot of the schools will host dances or things like that. Um, in my survey research, I've actually found there's a significant number. Some, I don't know what it is. Some percentage of parents go to hybrid schools specifically because of extracurricular activities. So maybe they have a, a really high level tennis player um, that wants to put in so many hours of training during the week, but in a five-day school, they don't have time. So they go to school two days a week and they spend a lot of time training on the off days. Or maybe they are a musician and they want, or an actor or something, and they want to go to auditions or do gigs. Um, and they, they just need to have every Friday off to be able to do that. Um, so that's kind of the reason that they come to the hybrid school. Um, so we, we have everything from that to schools that don't offer anything at all. Great. And here's somebody who submitted a suggestion, more so than a question, but just might be helpful for the audience. When her unschooled daughter was applying to colleges, one thing that she offered them was a list of the books that she had read, and there were 400 on the list. And the admissions person at the college was so impressed that that like, kind of put her above a lot of the other applicants. So that is, if you're considering homes uh, homeschooling and then going to college, things like that can, can set you apart a little bit. We have yeah, another question. Uh oh, I Go think ahead. that helped Victoria a lot also. Like uh, reminder parents too, to, to keep a log of everything your children do. Like if they, if they took violin, I don't care if it's they took it for two weeks and didn't like it, right? Like keep a log of everything that they do because that helps create, paint a picture or a portfolio for them when they get ready to get in college, or if they decide, say for instance, they're in junior high and they wanna to go to some specialized high school, that helps them with uh, that transcript to get into uh, that high school or that college. 
So I have another question actually for you, Bernita, and it's saying, please address homeschooling for single parents. How have single parents made homeschooling work during the during the pandemic and coming out of it also? Yeah. Um, I think homeschooling um, was easier for single families during the home, during the pandemic because most a lot of people were out of work. Um, but we start talking to them about their transitioning back to work, right? Like, and they're taking their, it's a paradigm shift of the mind, like understanding again that you, your child does not have to learn just 7.30 to 2.30 or 3.30 through the day. If you work through the day, your child can do homeschooling when you get home. You can actually give them assignments, right? Because they're still learning on their own pace and you don't necessarily have to be there. The reality is what we find out is that, and there's research out there, I need to find out that to quote the actual research. But um, we find out that what it generally takes in a 45 minute, that session that the kids are in school, when they're in a math class, it doesn't take that child, like one child to learn what it takes in that classroom, that, that particular amount of hours that child can learn that in roughly about 15 minutes because think the teacher is teaching to about 20 kids and so but the children when they're self-driven they sometimes can supersede that like most of the time they actually do in homeschool and i'm i'm just gonna be serious because they're learning at their pace and they're learning what they love about the learning and so it's all types of days and times that they can do homeschooling. So parents can take it out of their mind that it has to be only during the time they're at work. Thank you. A couple kind of housekeeping questions that I'm getting. One, they've asked me to repeat the Speech and Debate League and it's the National Christian Forensics and Communications Association. So it's ncfca.org. And then somebody asked about the education fund too, and it's Vila, like Victor, V as in Victor, E-L-A-E-D-F-U-N-D. So VilaEdFund.org. So we can get those out of the way. And there are a lot of questions asking about the increase in homeschooling numbers and is this real? Is it going to last? And the reality is, we don't know because there's a lag in data. So anecdotally, certainly it's real in the states that have data, um, the states that were available, it was like a 30% increase. And granted, these are not huge numbers to start with. So a 30% increase isn't, it's not millions, um, but definitely a, a large increase. And um, polling that EdChoice has done shows about 10%, maybe 10 to 13% of parents typically say they would like to homeschool. So there's definitely more growth potential um, of families who are interested in it, considering it, and hopefully events like this help inspire them you know, to take that extra step and to get into it. Um, and then one of the questions is asking me how much of it has to do with not really having a clear definition of homeschooling. And I certainly think that that, that probably is part of it in surveys. Um, Eric is a researcher. I don't know if you have any, you know, more insight onto questions around the numbers of homeschoolers. Oh, I, I definitely believe that the increase is is big and is and is real. Um, I can talk a little bit specifically about hybrids first. You know, the numbers have increased a lot over the past two years, but they've really increased a lot over the last ten years in terms of um, new hybrid schools being founded. And I think part of the reason for that is 
you know, it's just becoming more socially acceptable for more people to, to do these kind of different looking school models, right? Whether it's unschooling or hybrid schools or, or whatever in between. Um, the more you see your friends and people you know doing it and being successful, the more likely you are to kind of jump in and do it too. I can say for our my own kids' school specifically, once we were big enough that we started graduating students and actually uh, getting them admitted to colleges is when the enrollment really started taking off, right? Because people can see, oh, this is real and it works. Um, so I think um, to the extent that that uh, there's been growth, I. You know, I don't know how many people will jump right back into school. I kind of thought last year that as soon as the school opened, uh, everyone would go back to normal uh, 2019. But that that doesn't seem to be the case. People seem to to like being at home a little bit more. So I think certainly the hybrid schools are going to keep growing. And I think other forms of hybrid or of, of uh, you know, other types of homeschooling are going to last, too. Great. Um, I have a question here for Amber. Somebody wanting if you could speak to how the multiple age groups being together works. Do the students learn together or separate out into groups? And how do you accommodate different learning styles? Okay, I love this because um, if you think about, I guess, the one room schoolhouse and how it had children of all ages, that's kind of what we do. Um, we do not, we don't divide into groups. We have all the kids together. And in fact, it's such a cool thing to watch. Um, some of the older kids kind of take the younger kids under their wing. They'll help them like when the kids are playing like a group game or something because they're older and they know the rules and they know the correct way to do things. So they will teach these younger kids like how to play the game correctly, how to be good sports, um, you know, all the things that come with that. Uh, they're learning communication skills from maybe they don't have big um, brothers or sisters at home, so they're learning communication skills. Uh, with these older kids, they're learning teamwork um, from older kids, not just kids their age. And so I really like to watch the different ages interact. Um, at our old, at my old forest school in Texas before I moved, um, there was an older boy who kind of took my five-year-old under his wing and he the boy actually had a younger brother but um this kid was like 14 years old and him and my son just hit it off and we would go on long hikes and he would end up giving colt um piggyback rides on on the way back his colt could never finish the hike um and in fact some other little boys would approach this teenager and he's like, nope, sorry, it's just about cult. So there was even like the opportunity for like older kids and younger kids to develop these really sweet friendships um, that you just wouldn't expect from maybe a teenager and a five-year-old. And um, so watching things like that is really cool. And it's good that uh, we do have like a lot, a lot of our kids, um, we have kids with learning disabilities and kids uh, that are on the spectrum and just like a wide range of different types of families and learning styles and all of that. And so it's really cool that they can all come together and see how like maybe this family does things this way and learn from each other and experience the differences. Um, it's really beneficial to the kids, I think, and the adults. So we love it. I totally agree. And then the kids, they get such a leadership role and I think that helps them want to model good behavior. So it, it is really great. Uh, one of the co-ops that we were in, my daughter, who was probably 13 at the time, my oldest, and she actually taught classes to some of the preschoolers, um, just like pioneers and crafts and things like that. And she was very shy. And so for her, that was a really great way to help her get out of, get out of her shell and in a comfortable way because it's talking to little kids, not to her peers. 
So um, lots of lots of opportunities like that. Um, not very surprising. There are a lot of questions about socialization, and uh, we've dealt with that a little bit with the activities and the sports. But there are still a few more that are slightly different. Here's one from Facebook. It says, "I imagine your children socialize with schoolers and homeschoolers regarding learning, psychological pressures, etc. How do you think homeschoolers might differ from schooler <laughs> children?" And well, I can use that here. Oh. Really, really quick. I'll go really, really quick. So I assumed the same thing before when my daughter asked me, you know, in fifth grade to homeschool, like I'm thinking about all these things, like, will you be like real well-rounded socially, right? Uh, will you just be with me? Homeschooling again is everywhere. Like we've explained how children get to interact with sports, how they get to interact with other class opportunities, um, other even uh, social clubs, right? Going to museums, like you still have field trips, right? You can still create a group with work with with a group of moms to work together or dads to work together to say, what are we going to do with our children for homeschooling? So they they really have a lot of connectivity to other people, and. Um, you know, I think we just need to take out of our head the socially awkward child being a, you know, the frame of a of a homeschool child. No, like my, no, I'm more awkward than my daughter is. <laughs> yeah. And Amber, do you want to weigh in on this one too? I just feel like my kids that have spent the most time homeschooling are better adjusted. They have better relationships. I don't know if it's just the extra time that they have to like nurture those relationships or what it is. Um, but you know, I, my oldest daughter, like did the least amount of homeschooling and that's part of our unschooling thing. She wanted to go to public school. So she's there. Um, but just the amount of pressure that she gets from school and has always gotten from school. Um, I just think it, and she's not, you know, anxious all the time or anything like that, but there is that added stress and anxiety from trying to keep up with other kids and um, trying to make sure that she does well on this test and what is she going to wear today and all of those things that homeschoolers don't have to necessarily worry about on a daily basis. So I feel like just the lack of pressure in homeschooling, that helps kids develop better relationships too. Um, but yeah, there, that's one of the reasons we started Barefoot is just so we can connect families together because we don't want any family to go at this alone. Like homeschooling, I know, can be isolating for some people. Um, and that's one of the reasons we, we set up our groups is so that we can connect to others and have parents to walk through it with us and then kids to walk through it with our children. So. Yeah, I, I found out with my own kids too, and especially if they you know, go through a shy or awkward phase, doing it at home is less traumatic than doing it, yeah. you know, in, in a school where you're surrounded by, by all your peers. Um, Eric, did you have anything you wanted to add to this part? Join these hybrid uh, schools is, am I still muted? Okay, I think, I think one reason a lot of people join these hybrid schools is because um, they, uh, they want to uh, get into homeschooling, but they don't want to completely get into homeschooling, right? So they want to have some kind of um, smaller community that they can join, right? So maybe uh, th these schools pull from full-time homeschools, from uh, full-time private schools, from full-time public schools. Um, so parents come for a variety of reasons. 
Some of the full-time homeschoolers come because they want a bigger community uh, to be a part of. Some of the full-time private and public school families come because they want a smaller community to be part of, right? Um, and that's another one of the benefits of these hybrid schools is that you can set up really sort of smaller, high-identity institutions that kind of cater to the desires of, of very different kinds of, of clusters of families. So, so, so they come for socialization reasons, right? Great. Now, we kind of touched on this a tiny bit, um, I think, when we were talking about the funding, but there are several people asking questions about school choice programs. Um, here's an anonymous one. He says, many homeschool parents do not want funding in the form of ESA or vouchers because of the risks of regulation from the state you know, overreach. Is there a model of funding school, of school choice to include homeschoolers that does not put potentially put homeschooling at risk of additional regulations? And there's there's other similar ones, you know, just referencing how some homeschoolers don't want this funding because of that they don't want the state overreach. And um, so if, yeah. maybe we we'll just go around the panel and um, start with Bernita. Yep. So here in Michigan, we have something called the uh, Niles Community School District, where they actually partner with their uh, local schools. So the children, this is twofold. So this is a good example for how schools benefit from homeschooling, because a lot of schools, uh, public schools and charters don't see how they can benefit from partnering with homeschool families. So um, the children are actually enrolled in the school, right? But here in Michigan, parents have to do the core curriculum. So while the children are enrolled through the public school, the Niles Community School District has a partnership with that public school um, where those homeschool kids be enrolled, but their core classes are actually managed through the non, uh, through, excuse me, through the homeschool um, co-op. And the parents do those, like that teaching of the core classes and their extracurriculum dollars actually go to Niles Community School District. So they built almost 90 partnerships with like the YMCA, sports uh, groups and everything, hockey teams and all of that. So the children get to go to Niles Community School District for their extracurriculum classes. If there's no oversight on behalf of the parents, like the parents aren't accountable to make make their kids get tested and say what classes they have to and don't have to take because they are still acknowledged as a homeschool family here in Michigan. Now, it may be different in some states because Michigan is way more fluid with homeschooling, right? As long as the parent does the core classes, you're good. But um, those, that's one example of how you can actually get that funding. Like it's not in hand, it's still going through a homeschool network, but your child's still connected to a public school without all that extra oversight. Any thoughts on school choice type or funding students for homeschooling? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this is a good question. It's an important question, right? Because it's, uh, state legislators and state agencies instinct is to find rules to pile on right to, to pin things down and regulate them as 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 precisely as they can so i think one one benefit of homeschooling and all the different kinds of co-ops and hybrid schools and programs we're talking about is it, it becomes just about impossible um not impossible but it becomes difficult for legislators to, to write clear 
clear rules to kind of to kind of pin them down. Um, so we and that's a feature, right? Not a bug. We 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 kind of like the idea of creativity and this explosion of different kinds of models. It's great. Um, I think the the questioner is on to something too, though. I did a survey of this past year, uh, asking this question of hybrid school leaders, and I asked them something like, um, "Are there particular programs that you think would be very helpful?" if your state or your locality adopted, and do you use any of these things? Um, and so very few of them used uh, education savings accounts or tuition tax credits in their states. But a lot of them said, um, we don't need anything like that. We're not, so they're not clamoring for, for state help. Um, I think because of the reasons that they're, they're nervous about getting uh, forced into testing regimes or other kinds of things like that, and they get more freedom as as homeschoolers, so I think I think it matters a lot how your how your state uh, uh, bills and your get written and how your agencies uh, kind of try to regulate these things. That's that's a real threat. And Amber, did you have any thoughts on school choice policies? Um, yeah, I I agree with everything that you guys just said. We I haven't taken advantage of anything because I am leery about getting sucked into like mandatory testing and things like that. Um, prior to homeschooling or understanding homeschooling, I would have thought like, yeah, they should test these kids to make sure their parents are really teaching them or something like that. I probably would have agreed with that. But now that I'm homeschooling and I understand the way children learn and how they learn at different times and how really you know, public school is more of an experiment than homeschooling has been because it's just been around longer. And um, I, so I'm totally against any kind of like government <laughs> intervention in, in test requirements or attendance reporting or things like that. I don't like it. Um, Texas was really simple. It was kind of like uh, Detroit, I guess, where you, as long as you're teaching the core subjects, they don't care what what else you're doing pretty much um you just have to teach like reading writing and spelling and so when i moved to tennessee and they're like okay we want your attendance and we want your health records and we we want you to test in grades five and eight i think um i was really bummed out but <laughs> we're dealing with it and we actually have the option in tennessee to have an umbrella school so that you can um bypass all of that and so we hopefully won't have to deal with it unless anything changes, but I don't like it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree that there are risks with the funding issues, um, but I, I think it's a, a matter of fairness where if we are going to have a policy where kids' education is funded through you know, taxpayers and there's compulsory education, that it makes sense for the funding to follow the students. And I think we just have to fight very hard to resist the overregulation, and, and realistically you can find so many examples of like what you're saying in your state now where they're regulating even though you don't get funding so um you know i think it's important for people to resist you know whether you're in a private school or a homeschool situation the burdensome regulations um or even you know less burdensome regulations um but i i, I do believe that funding should follow students and then you know just resist that the urge for them to regulate Okay. Um. Quick. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do think it's important to talk about this though, because we've got we've got homeschool um, laws in every state, so it's legal in every state. Um, but I think this is a conversation that's worth continuing to talk about because, to the extent homeschoolers and you know things like co-ops and micro schools and other things could fly under the radar, uh, you know, and kind of just kind of. Uh, 
you know, make do three or four years ago, legislators and, and state programs are more aware of these things now, right? So I think it's just something to keep an eye on. Right, and I think that's one of the reasons that even without funding, we're gonna keep seeing attempts to regulate um, as it grows, because it was one thing to let those fringes <laughs> that Bernita was talking about kids homeschool, but once it becomes more mainstream, you're definitely gonna, I think you're definitely gonna have funding or no funding attempts for them to, and, and in part because some, in a lot of states, districts are funded based on enrollment. So even if the funding's not following the students to their homeschooling opportunities, the districts view it as a loss of funding. So that's giving them an incentive to say, oh, wait a minute, how, you know, are they doing this the right way? And yeah, so. Okay, we've got several of the questions are just to any of the parents saying, like, what are the most common questions that you get from other parents who are considering homeschooling? And uh, maybe start with Amber since we kind of circled around the other way last time. I always see parents that are interested in homeschooling posts like on Facebook homeschooling groups and things like that. Like, I just don't think I'm smart enough or I don't want to fail my kids. Um, and I heard like the best response years ago. Somebody told, they probably, they might've told me or maybe I read it, but um, they were like, well, then what, why do you want to send them back into the same system that made you feel not capable of teaching your own kids? And that just resonated with me so much. And I've told other parents that. Um, you teach your kids everything they need to know from the time they're born. You taught them to talk and walk and crawl and you taught their manners and um, probably how to count and their ABCs and all of those things prior to kindergarten that you're teaching your kids. You don't, you don't become less of a teacher just because your child turned five years old. You are still capable of teaching them everything that they need to know to be an accessible a successful adult. If you think about what most adults need to be successful in the view of the world, they need like basic math, good communication skills, critical thinking skills. And I guarantee that most parents are teaching that to their kids before they're even five. So um, I don't know. I just want to encourage parents that you are smart enough. You didn't lose um, the ability to teach your child just because they hit school age. I think that's so important to remember because we all have that fear of like failing our kids or not doing enough. Um, but, you know, kids learn what they need to know and you are capable. And there's so many resources too. It's not like you are you know, physically teaching them, like you were saying, all of these different subjects. You're helping them yeah. find it where they need it. Um, Bernita, do you have certain questions that you get asked the most? Yeah, that question, most definitely. Um, parents feeling like they're not smart enough and then parents feeling like they're gonna do harm to their children. Um, again, my response is always, well, you know, they were already, schools were already failing their children. So um, the other thing I would say is parents are concerned about um, where their children are at like they don't want the schools to be tracking where they at right but they want to know how do i know if my child's on reading level or how do i know what they possibly should be working on because i still want them to be academically sound right and so we find other ways to do that there's other testing uh, platforms for you to do that where this is not connected to a school um the other thing is that question about how do i do this and i work you know, parents are like, I just cannot do this. And so we explain to them ways to do it while they work. Because 
uh, we have a lot of families who have older children and younger children. They're like, well, I don't want it to end up where my older children are actually educated. My younger children are like putting the onus on them because I have to work and my husband has to work or whatever, right? And so we showed them how to do it. Just, just coaching them through it is the best thing. And for everybody to find a route that's good for their house, to feel comfortable with breaking that traditional mindset that I have to literally be on this one track lens about education. And I keep saying that education is everywhere in all times. Education is on that walk, right? That breezeway through your neighborhood and just, just talking about things or finding nature is everywhere. And how you apply that to actually look like education is key. And Eric, from a dad's perspective, what do you what do you hear? Yeah, no, well, I hear all these same questions. So Amber's and Bernita's uh, answers are good. Like those are those are things that we hear too, all the time. Uh, just one additional one that we hear from parents is, um, you know, what? So what does this look like at the end of twelfth grade? Right? What that people sometimes have anxiety about. Okay, I put my kid through this weird-looking school experience, and now they've got to go try to get into college. I don't. Uh, I mean, I can make up a transcript, or I can you know, get one from my weird looking school, hybrid school, uh, but is that really going to benefit them in the long run? Um, and I think we've got evidence, you know, that, that kids do well um, going through these different kinds of paths and, and they do get into college. We have a, we have a, a, a Georgia state Supreme court justice who was homeschooled and, you know, you, you can turn out okay. Um, but I do think just anything along this continuum, right, between hybrid schools and co-ops and full-time homeschooling and unschooling, um, I think actually the experience of doing that is, is good preparation for what life is like after 12th grade, right? You know, in, in a, in a conventional school, you're, you're going, um, you're, you're running your day based on bells and people telling you where to go from the first week of kindergarten to the last week of your senior year. Right. And then we tell you, okay, you're done, go get a job, right. Or go now, go handle all your college business with this, with this strange looking schedule now to you. But if you, if you have some practice with that, either going a couple days a week to classes or, um, you know, just managing yourself on your own as a full-time homeschooler when you're in high school, kind of working, all right, I have to manage my, my time, I have to budget how long it's going to take me to get these things done if I want to do something else. Um, I think that's all great practice for what comes after, after high school. So that's, that's just one of the additional anxieties that we tend to hear about. And that is the perfect segue because we are also getting some questions about college and the transition from homeschooling to college. And uh, I have two kids who are in college right now, and they both tell me that homeschooling, kind of like what you were just saying, Eric, homeschooling really helped prepare them for college because they are used to being more independent. Um, you know, since we took a you know quasi unschooling approach, it wasn't. I was never the one ringing the bell or you know breathing down their neck to get things done, and um, so they've got that independence, they've got that kind of ability to think beyond just what a teacher is telling them. And a lot of that I think comes from their speech and debate as well. Um, so that's one of the one of the things that, that we have found. And then in terms of the college application process, it varies so much by schools. And um, my son actually, he goes to Boston University and when he first got accepted, he didn't get into the program that he wanted to there. And his, his, you know, transcript was pretty good. His record was pretty good. 
so he appealed to the dean and they he did get into it so sometimes just that extra little personal touch there is still some skepticism in schools about homeschoolers so sometimes you just need to take kind of that extra step and show them that you are legit and you know that your background is what it is and really one thing that i say is that parents have much less of a an incentive to kind of stretch the truth on their kids' applications because we're stuck with the bills. <laughs> Whereas the guidance counselor in a school, they get to brag about, you know, where they send kids, but if it doesn't work out, you know, that's kind of no harm to them. So, um, but I don't know if, you know, Bernita, your daughter is in, in college, so you can talk to that. Eric, I'm not sure if you have any headed to college yet or not. So Bernita, do you want to yeah. hop in first? Yep. So again, my daughter um, went to um, Wayne State University, which isn't really one of those schools that traditionally take in um, homeschool kids like 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 it's usually generally noted. Right. But I would challenge people to find schools across the country that um, work with homeschool students that have been known historically. Maybe I'll maybe I'll keep that as assignment because one of our coaches has a list of those schools. She challenged her daughter to look up a lot of the schools that do not do not require like the ACT, SAT and all of that kind of stuff. Right. So students can just write an essay to get into the school um, and their transcripts are noted for being a homeschooler. Um, the reality is there are homeschool people who are right now lawyers, CEOs of companies, uh, doctors, all type of things, right? I think maybe that's a good show for Cato, right? Like find some of those people and show that I was actually homeschooled. Like nobody in this world never knew that I was homeschooled, but now I am a college professor, right? Or or I am an educator at this unique school and I'm changing how education looks because there's people everywhere who, are home, who were homeschooled and 50, 60 years old, right? And so, um, don't be afraid to just plan ahead of time, right? Like don't wait till the last minute. Begin to plan when your children are in ninth grade so they can take those uh, cl uh, classes at like the local university or the local uh, community college also. That's a process also that could help them get in college because if they graduate uh, in 12th grade and they've already taken two years of college credits. It's like they've already got almost associate's degree, right? So what university wouldn't want to accept them in? So it's a win-win. It's, it's just about how you plan. And we're talking about college because that was what the question asked about. But as we're discussing it, I'm realizing that not everybody needs to or wants to or will go to college. and. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I have found that the homeschool community is much more open to these alternate paths a lot of times, at least in my area. Um, so if Amber or Eric want to jump in on either college or, you know, life after high school that doesn't involve college for some kids. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll go. Oh, go ahead, Amber. Oh, I was just going to encourage people to look at like dual enrollment classes if their kids are interested in college or taking that college path after graduation. Um, we had a college counselor tell us when my son first started that once you take your first college class and pass it, nobody's going to be interested in your, no colleges are going to be as interested in your high school transcript because you've taken and passed a college class now. So they're going to want to see your college transcript. And so that's what we built for our kids. 
Um, I don't know if that's helpful at every college. Like my son just grad, my oldest just graduated. So this is a little bit new to us and he got accepted to the first, the only two colleges that he applied to. Um, and we just used mostly his college transcript, which was actually from homeschooling during high school. So that might be helpful. Yeah, and I just say, yeah, Colleen, you said, um, I, so my oldest, my oldest son is, is at the University of Georgia. He had, he had no difficulty getting in coming out of a hybrid school. Um, and our school sends um, kids all over the place. But I've talked to other schools who say, you know what, um, there, there's also places in between getting into like the highest level colleges and not going at all, right? Maybe you want to go to a high identity college and some, some hybrid schools are targeted at that too, right? Um, so it's, it's just a, a dependent on what you're trying to get out of this education at the school. Um, I will say just on, on transcripts and things, um, Colin, you mentioned services. There are services that can help um, any audience members with, uh, with you know, creating high school transcripts. And then um, in a previous institution, not at Kennesaw, but in another one, I would, uh, part of my job as a faculty member was to kind of go through schedules with students every semester. And sometimes I would get homeschool students who were currently at the college, um, but they hadn't taken certain um, state required classes in high school. And so they were having to fill in gaps that other kids weren't. So that's just something to be aware of in your particular state, right? Like maybe you can get into a college, um, but the state may have some expectation for a certain number of math or science, especially is where kids got hung up, uh, those kind of classes. Um, and just be sure you do something to cover your bases before you, before you graduate from high school if you don't want to do it. Uh, when you get into the college. Yeah. If I can say a little bit more mm -hmm. about that too. So um, so you have programs like AmeriCorps also, right? Like AmeriCorps, we have trade programs, all type of things. My daughter, before she decided to do homeschooling, had a two, like I said, a two-year plan. Her plan was not to graduate from high school and go straight to college. Her original plan was to uh, take a gap year and her gap year was gonna be a year of AmeriCorps and then she was going to travel with that year. And then she was going to go to college in Georgia. The pandemic changed all that. And then because she missed school, she wanted to go straight to college. So it's so many paths to success. Um, I will note that I may be the only, I don't know for sure, but I am not a college graduate. And I have worked with some of the most, like I have done lectures at Hoover, the Hoover Institute just recently, right? Um, I've done lectures across this country. I have been a business owner since I was the age of 23, right? Like college is not, why I do not want to say don't go to college, but college is not the say all be all to success in this country. There's certifications and there's credentials that people can get that can make them successful on their pathways and their journeys. I wish I would have known to do some of this when I was younger, because I would probably had owned my business when I was 18, because I really wanted to. I just didn't know how to, right? So a lot of young kids can do it at 16, right? They can do it. It's just about us as parents being okay with letting them and taking some of the restraints and limitations off of our expectations of them and saying, what do you want to do? And helping them, helping support them to get there. 
Well, that is an excellent note to close on. I can't believe we're out of time already. Sorry that there were questions that came in that we weren't able to get to and our apologies for that. But hopefully the information that we shared was helpful to you and everyone has shared their websites. So I you know, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions. The video recording of the event will be available on Cato's website. So if you need to you know, go get a refresher on any of it, it's there for your viewing pleasures. Thank you so much for joining us today and we hope you enjoyed it.